Torah has to be emes, it has to be true, which means that every element of Torah has to harmonize with the rest of Torah. It would make absolutely no sense if we had an explanation in Torah of the simple understanding that was in contradiction to the mystical understanding and so on and so forth. And that's why it's difficult when you look at this week's parasha, when you have Korach in the mystical tradition, the whole story of Korach and his attack on Moshe actually has very lofty ideals. And yet in practice, when you read it in the simple understanding, it just seems to be a horrible rebellion. So how do we reconcile the two? And the truth is that there are a few elements of the story that really don't seem to make any sense. How is it possible that 250 leaders of the Jewish community were willing to take the chance of bringing the Keturus, knowing that doing so could imperil their lives? And how could it be that Moshe even says to them, I actually have the same aspirations as you. <laughs> this is a rebellion. How could he have, how could Moshe Rabbeinu have the same aspirations? And what about the fact that Hashem promises us that the people would always believe Moshe? It doesn't look like they actually believe Moshe in the story. Well, that's the first thing. It, this is not a rebellion against Moshe, and it's not even a rebellion against the concept of there being a Kohen or even a Kohen Gadol. It's more about the fact that they all wanted in. They all wanted to have this opportunity, and they believed that just as the power of davening can change a person's destiny, you can actually change your position in the community too. They were wrong, and Moshe had to illustrate to them why they were wrong, but there's a, an incredible uh, take-home from this, because the aspiration is actually positive, and we should learn from that. So the application was wrong, but the aspiration should be there to want to be a Kohen Gadol. And in order to understand that, we know that there are three elements, three segments of the Jewish community, the regular people, the Levim and the Kohanim, which actually represent three dimensions of the Jewish experience, mitzvah observance, Torah learning, and the ability to give yourself with mysterious nefesh, absolute commitment to Hashem. And that's the aspiration. So the Rebbe gives a beautiful insight into Korach's rebellion based on just trying to reconcile the mystical explanations and the practical way that the story is told. Says Yudua, is Achas, so we know that Torah is one, and all the different elements, the four different dimensions by which you could study Torah, have to all, of course, coalesce into a single Torah. Like the Zohar tells us, that the esoteric part of Torah is like the soul, and the exoteric part of Torah is like the body. And just as the two are a single organism, body and soul together, so it must be by Torah too that the essence or the, the deeper parts of Torah and the more revealed parts of Torah are like the body and soul of a single organism. So therefore we have to understand how things panned out with the story of the debate, the argument, the rebellion of Koyach. When you look in Hasidus, you look in Kabbalah, you'll see that Kerach is elevated to a very high stature. He was no ordinary individual. He was a person with uh, some kind of prophetic insight. He was a person who had connection to very high, lofty spiritual ideals. Therefore, in Hasidus, we talk a lot about how great his, aspir- his, his argument was, that it wasn't just uh, you know, rabble-rousing. In fact, one of the interpretations of Koyach's problem is that what he wanted was just premature. It wasn't wrong. It's going to happen in the time of Mashiach. He just insisted on having it prematurely, and that was the problem. Today, we're in a situation where we have to do mitzvahs practically, and so we're not yet at this level of all being transformed into Kohanim Gedolim, and that's where Korach went wrong, in timing, not in content. So that's on the one hand, right? Korach is an amazing person, a visionary, living in the future, living in the Messianic age. 
אבל אין דרך הפשט, אבל כשאתה קורא את הסטוריה על פייס וליו, פשוטי של מקרה, לנדמן דורכויס וגנדם גדלה ירידה ונפילה פונקרכן. מה אתה קורא? אתה קורא את קרח פל. זה היה טרבל מיסטפ על שלו, והוא נכנס לבד על הגרונד, וזה היה דבסטציה, ובשביל הרבה ההיסטוריה, קרח נכון כרוג. ואתם גדל האנש וקרח וכל הדוסף הזה מחלקס ומבוא ברוך עם פשט הכסוב ומנחמי מפורש שהתורה ריאדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדדד
Beis, steht am Ende schon in Pirisha, wenn er geht zu Dibur Moshe, Zeus hast du Kuchulachem Machtois. It's interesting, both the Medrash and Rashi quote that when Moshe says to them, this is what you should do, take these pans and bring Katoiris. So what does the Medrash and Rashi say? As Moshe hat sie Masber given, and Moshe said and explained to them, we only have one God, only one Kohen God, and you all 251 to be Kohanim There's only one. And then he says, It's actually something I want as well. Here we have a rebellion of 250 people who are fighting against Aaron's position as Kohen Gadol, wanting to usurp that, that, uh, that position from him. How can Moshe give any credibility to what they're arguing? Because that's what it sounds like. He says, I'm with you. I get you. I understand you. Even though he, okay, so he only said it, it's not like he supported their cause. But the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu should use such an expression, say, I also want that, that sounds like a huge endorsement of their argument. Why did Moshe have to say it in the first place? What was he hoping to achieve? How was it going to shift these 250 people by saying, I also want what you want? So why did Moshe do it and how could he say it? And it sounds like it lends credibility to them. And question three, the whole story needs an explanation because Hashem promised Moshe that forever everybody would believe in him. So Hashem promises Moshe Rabbeinu that everybody's going to believe you forever. So how is it then possible that Koyach and his entire entourage should be able to contradict Moshe and miss the point that he's Hashem's emissary? Especially when you consider who these 250 people were. They were people of prestige. They were people that held position in the Sanhedrin. They were the heads of the community. Especially when you consider the perspective of the Rambam and others. The Rambam says clearly, why is it that everybody would believe Moshe Rabbeinu? It's not some kind of a magical formula. It's because they saw Moshe go up the mountain with their own eyes. They heard Hashem speak to him with their own ears. So they knew that he's the conduit. So how is it possible that they should have not trusted Moshe on his appointment of Aaron as the Kohen God and the fact that there's only a single Kohen God? The Rambam continues and says, what happens if an amazing prophet arrives and he does the most amazing signs and makes the greatest predictions and then he wants to contradict anything that Moshe Rabbeinu said? Right? We don't listen to him. And that is the greatest sign that whatever miracles he may have performed are all witchcraft. Because the vision of us, because Moshe did not give us credentials of miracles that he performed, we saw what he saw. We heard what he heard. We were eyewitnesses, three million eyewitnesses to the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu went into the cloud on Mahar Sinai and he got the Torah. 
So Vostoset Mebchol HaDoyres. That, the Rambam says, applies now in the 21st century and every generation in between. How much more so than to the people who actually physically witnessed it with their own eyes? So to so then how is it possible that you should get Koyrach who arrives on the scene, he doesn't give prophecies, he doesn't do miracles. So the Rambam is saying, even if you make prophecies and you do miracles, we don't believe you if you contradict Moshe. Here comes Koyrach to the eyewitnesses who saw everything that happened to Harasinai themselves. He doesn't do miracles, doesn't make prophecies. How on earth was Kairach able to round up such a following of people to contradict Moshe? It sounds impossible. Unless, of course, what Kairach is saying does not sound like a rebellion. And what Kairach is saying maybe sounds a lot more kosher than we expected. Then it would make sense that he could get a following. So the Birbo Zed explanation is, this is Meferish and Posuk, is Kavonis Machlekes Kerch Vadosik Hivena, so Blyman and Zain Kehuna, nor Zay Ale, Zalzain Kehuna Gudonim, or we cast them Gam Kehuna. So the first clue is not as you might think with a perfunctory glimpse. You might think that what happened over here is that Kerch had an issue with the idea of a Kohen, or the idea of a Kohen God, or that's not true. Koyach was absolutely in favor of Kohanim and of Kohanim Gedolim. He just thought that everybody should have access. So that's a, a nuance, but it's very important. Koyach is not arguing that Moshe is not the representative. Korach is not arguing that Moshe made decisions that were inappropriate decisions. That's usually how people read the story. Korach criticizes Moshe for nepotism. You've appointed family members to high positions. But the truth is, that's not what Korach is saying. Korach is not saying what you did was wrong and you are no longer the official representative of Hashem. But his, his opinion was, we can shift things. Moshe Rabbeinu did what he had to do. That was his shlichus. And we have a shlichus of our own to expand the protocol or to shift things around a little bit. What does that mean? So Koyach was thinking like this. Using the same logic that says, Hashem decided that somebody should have no money, God forbid. Hashem decided that certain persons should be ill, God forbid. What do we stand back and say, okay, yeah, the, the illness is Hashem's shliach. The business collapses Hashem's shliach. We're, we're not going to do anything. Not at all. We daven. We say we want to expand things. We want to make things more accessible, more opportunity. So let's do the same thing here. And we are in and move to formations for the In fact, Korach says, look, Deibishte himself said after the Egel that he's destroying the Jewish people. God forbid. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu goes up onto Har Sinai and he negotiates and he davens and he davens and he succeeds and he's able to change the outcome. The same thing happened after the Miragdim. So says, I learned a lesson from this. There is an opportunity to change things from the way that they were originally designed, even if it was designed by Hashem through His Shliach. As far as he was concerned, it is possible to daven and daven and daven, and now I should be the Kohen Gadol. So up until now, Hashem's plan was that Aaron should be the Kohen Gadol, and now through my davening, I can earn the opportunity for me to be the Kohen Gadol. 
Befrat, as by Kuna, gefit me Taka, as first have I just a Kalim Shaikh given, Subchedus, und the Noch, all the day had, Admidos von Seit Zugenomen, und so ungegeben zu Shevel Levd Aravon. He says, you know, there's precedent. Originally, it was supposed to be the firstborns who served in the Mishkan. They lost that opportunity, it was taken from them, was given to Shevet Levi, of which Kerch says I'm a part. So there's precedent, just like the Bechira was no longer the access point to become Kohanim. So being Aaron is no longer the, the, the reason you have to be the Kohen Godel. Maybe there's an opportunity to mix and match, make a rotational government, you know, give somebody an opportunity uh, to also stand in that position. Now, Koyach had a very compelling reason to believe that he was better suited to be the Kohen Godel even than Aaron was. Why? Why did the Bechorim lose their right to be the Kohanim? Because they participated in the Cheta Egel. Ah, you know who else helped to facilitate? Of course, it wasn't malicious intention. But pra- practically, who else helped to facilitate the Egel Azov? Aaron Akoyim. And Kerch says, I'm a Levi. The Levim were squeaky clean. We didn't get involved at all. I'm actually better positioned to be the Kohen Godel than Aaron is. So Aaron had some minuscule involvement in the Cheta Egel. Remember, Cheta Egel is why we took the Kohuna away from the firstborns and gave it to the Kohanim. And Kerach says, while Aaron was, was, uh, was um, stained by the Kohen Godel, we were absolutely immune. My shevet, myself included. We didn't get involved. Not only that, but Koyach says, we're the ones who stood up to those who'd been exposed by Aaron. Aaron, because he facilitated in whichever way that the Egel Azov should happen, we're the ones who had to go to war with our own families in order to push back against it. You'll ask the question, if it's so beautiful, if Koyach's only issue is that he wants to also be a Koyan and he believes that he has rights and he feels that the same logic which made Koyhanim in the first place is the same logic that should turn him into a Koyan Godel. So why did Moshe Rabbeinu say, and what do you think, Hashem didn't send me? It's because, as we know from two parishes ago, Moshe Rabbeinu was the most humble person ever, and therefore, So in his humility, he thought, okay, they just said that everybody will believe me. Maybe I no longer deserve it. Maybe I've done something wrong. Very similar to what Yaakov Avinu had said, where, you know, maybe I have a promise from Hashem that such and such will happen and I'll be protected and so forth. But perhaps I've lost that immunity because I didn't have Aveira. So Moshe Rabbeinu had a similar thought. Maybe Hashem had guaranteed, and I lost that opportunity because I didn't behave as well as I should have. So therefore he says, let's see, you know, is Hashem, so to speak, still on my side or not? But fundamentally, Korach's argument is that I accept that Moshe Rabbein is Hashem Shliach. I accept that Aaron is supposed to be the Kohen Gadol. And now I want to daven for a different outcome. And I have good reason to do so logically because I actually have a better uh, record in this particular arena than Aaron Akoin does. So maybe I deserve to be the Kohen Gadol. Now, once we understand that this is not this malicious rebellion against Moshe Rabbeinu, then it becomes easier to swallow the concept of 250 leaders of the community being part of this. 
Pizeres move on, and Benegat said, Raise no niche. Azay Abnitki remained to kick an eye for Moshe. So there's 250 people that was never their intention to rebel directly against Moshe, to fight against Moshe. Now, Zabin Gewalt, Zain Kayanim Gedolim. They just wanted to be Kayanim Gedolim like Koyach did. Virashi says, Matkesh, Vatem, Raise no niche, Mevakshim, Kuhuno Gedolim. Rashi says that. Rashi says that Moshe said to the 250 people, I know you want to be Kohanim Gedolim. So there's their motivation. Their motivation is not to uproot Moshe, to unseat Moshe. Their motivation is, we want to become Kohanim Gedolim. In fact, you could even make a distinction. You could say Koirach was the one who Dafka wanted to replace Aaron Akoin, and the other 250 were happy with the idea of having many Koihanim Gedolim. And we see that because Rashi tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu said to them, is only one Koihan Gadol. That implies that their thinking was that there could be many Koihanim Gedolim. So their attack is actually even softer than Koirach's attack, which we now can justify from a logical perspective, even from a spiritual perspective, is to unseat Aaron Akoyan, and the 250 supporters don't even want to do that. They just want in. They want an opportunity. They also want to experience being Kohanim Gedolim. So what's the big chap? Why, why the compulsion to want to be a Kohen Gadol? What's so attractive about being a Kohen Gadol? It's not necessarily the highest paying job, right? So, so what is it? Even though it says, right, that the other Kohanim had to contribute to his finances. So both the Midrashim and Rashi explain. You want to understand what drives these people to want to be Kohanim Gedolim? Well, here's your first clue. It's something so attractive that even Moshe Abenu himself wants it. The aspiration to want to be a Kohen Gadol is so healthy and so appropriate and so good that even Moshe Rabbeinu had it. They weren't looking to have some kind of authority in the community where they would be a notch higher than the rest of everybody else. Because a Kohen Gadol is somebody who's in a uniquely spiritual, holy state, Separate from everybody else. A Kohen Gadol is somebody who's in a consistent state of serving Hashem. They wanted to be like that. They wanted to be holy. Isn't that a beautiful aspiration? In the They wanted to experience the closeness to Hashem, the commitment to Hashem that a Kohen Gadol experiences. Now, can you fault somebody for that? Can you tell them that this is a bad aspiration? That is a great aspiration. And that's what Moshe had to tell them. He had to tell them that your aspiration is good. It's appropriate. It is encouraged. Even I have that aspiration. But you have to know how to distinguish between aspiration and application. So you should, and it's appropriate to aspire to be a Kohen Gadol, to have that closeness to Hashem. Simultaneously, you need to acknowledge practically there's only one Kohen Gadol, and that ain't going to change. But they didn't take that sitting down. They were so sold on the idea of being a Kohen Gadol that they said, We're willing to bring the Katoris like a Kohen Gadol does. 
even once they were conscious of the fact that Moshe warned them that it would be the destruction of them, they were willing to do it. In their minds, it was worth the risk to have that once-off opportunity to experience what it is to be a Kohen Gadol, very similar to Nadav and Avihu, who wanted to have that once-off experience to be able to be Kohanim Gedolim. That's exactly what they wanted. In fact, this is similar to the explanation that's given about the second base Amikdash, which is such a fascinating paradoxical time because you had individuals who were totally ill-suited to be Kohanim Gedolim. They knew that if a person went into the Kodesh HaKadoshim on Yom Kippur, unsuited for the position, the person would die, and they still wanted to do it year on year. Sorry, one after the other, these Kohanim Gedolim died on Yom Kippur. And yet they went to pay for the opportunity to go into the Kedush HaKadoshim as a Kohen Gadol and die. It seems so illogical. Once they saw surely that the previous Kohen Gadol did not make it through the year. And knowing with a little bit of introspection that they were as not deserving of the Kahuna Gedola as the previous candidates. So why on earth would they push with such motivation to want to be the Kohen Gadol when you see the fallout? The only explanation is that don't write these people off as the most horrific um, bribery-induced in, uh, leaders. Understand that they also had a yearning and an aspiration because to be in the Kodesh HaKadosh and Yom Kippur and exposed to the Shechina in the most overt way is an aspiration. Amazing thought. It was worth it for them knowing that they would not survive the year. So there's this correlation between the 250 supporters of Kairach and the Kohanim Gedolim of the second phase Hamikdash. They both have the same aspiration. Sometimes they, people believe that it is worthwhile to do something that comes at huge risk, even risk to your own life, for that amazing spiritual opportunity. If that's the case, now we can get back to our original question. How could it be that you read the esoteric texts and Korach is an amazing person and he has wonderful ideas that align with some of the ultimate aspirations of Judaism and how then do you read that in the Pshat? Well, here you do. Now we're starting to see it. You just have to know how to read the Pshat. Don't read the Pshat as a projection of the world as we know it. Because in the world that we know it, yes, there are people who rebel against leadership and give a lot of tzoros to their leaders. And you, you kind of think Korach is like that. Let's move out of this and understand what's going on over here. This is a group of people who have this very powerful aspiration to be in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, to be as close to Hashem as possible. What prompts them? What drives them towards that? Where did they get this urge to want to be Kohanim Gedolim? You see that in the words of Kairach. Again, go back and read the Pshat. The Pshat actually holds the keys. What does the Pshat say? 
He says, "Ki cholo aida kolom kedoshim v'sucham v'seicham Hashem." Umaduat is nasu gamer. Every single Jew is holy. Hashem lives within us, amongst us. Why do you elevate yourselves over everybody else? Rashi points out to the Medrash Tanchuma that effectively what Kerech was saying is we all stood at Har Sinai, we all heard the same words, we all had the same exposure to Elikus. So therefore Kerech says to Moshe, why is, is only your brother good enough to be a Kohen Gadol? He heard Hashem speak at Har Sinai. We heard Hashem speak at Har Sinai. So why are you elevating Aaron above us? In other words, In the introduction to Matan Torah, Hashem said the entire nation are going to be a kingdom of Koyhanim. We heard that, Karach says. The Balaturim explains that at the time of Matan Torah, every single Jew was elevated to the level of Kohen Gadol. So Kohen looks at it and he says, that's the fundamental position of a Jewish person, is a Kohen Gadol. Yes, things went awry because there was a Chet Egel, and so the community lost that opportunity. But the river hot as a rizgir from Bakerva does the rotten from Kuhnogdola. Kayach says, That's what we're meant to be, that's what we should focus on. If we were once Koyhanim Gedolim, so we may have temporarily lost that opportunity, let's get it back. And especially, as mentioned earlier, because Kayach says, I never did that Avera, my people never did that Avera, why should we have to lose out? That's why it's interesting to note that the name of this parasha is not Vayikach, because very often the word that gives the name to a parasha is very often the first unique word in the parasha. Vayitzeh, It's not unusual to have a verb as the name of the parasha. Here it's not Vayikach. It's not even Vayikach Koyrach. Vosmein vitatagm taich vispalag Koyrach. Vayikach Koyrach, Unkelus immediately tells us means he took himself aside. Even Rashi says that. He split from the community. He created division, he created conflict. Isn't that interesting that here's a parasha where the whole theme of the parasha is rebellion against Moshe and the name that we choose, which is always supposed to represent what the essence of the parasha is, doesn't even allude to the fact that there's a conflict. It just tells us the name, Korach. Okay, in fairness, the name Korach maybe in and of itself alludes to conflict, but we don't overemphasize the conflict. Why is that? Because the Torah wants us to know that the take-home message from Parshas Kerach is not only the warning, don't ever repeat his bad behavior, don't ever rebel like Kerach rebelled. The Torah always wants us to also have a positive take-home message. What's the positive message? The take-home message is that the aspiration of Kairach and of his 250 men, and for that matter of Moshe Rabbeinu himself, the yearning to be a Kohen Gadol 
is something we should all have. It should be part of us. In fact, along the lines of what Kerach said, where he said we all heard Hashem's words at Har Sinai, so what is the indicator that we actually heard those words? And that Havaya Elekecha, that the supreme element of godliness, which is beyond the whole of creation, became real to us. Where would you see that in practice? Because I want to be a Kohen Gadol. That would show that Har Sinai has actually impacted me. The only mistake that Kerach made, and that we have to learn to avoid this mistake, is not to translate that aspiration into some kind of communal friction, into some assertion of self to say, I deserve a position. That you can't have. To start conflict and to attack the kahuna, that's treif. Absolutely treif. To attack the Kohen Gadol appointed by Hashem via Moshe, and then to want to be that Kohen Gadol in practice. For him says, Don't know Kohen Gadol Echad, that is wrong because there's only one Kohen Gadol appointed by Hashem. And that's actually what Moshe Rabbeinu tells them. It is something that I want, and that's where it ends. It's a Roitze Bekach. It colors my perspective of what I really would want to become. It doesn't translate into how I think Judaism should be practiced. Ah, but you could still ask a question. Shevet Levi, who very clearly were distinguished from everybody else, given responsibilities that the rest of the community were not given. And part of those responsibilities is to be almost like Hashem's army. And yet the Rambam says, anybody can get there. This is not restricted only to Shevet Levi. But any person who dedicates himself who understands with a deep understanding about how to come forward to serve Hashem, and this person rejects all of the overwhelming, stressful thoughts that occupy everybody else's time and energy, such a person can be absolutely sanctified. So now, <laughs> we're saying that it's only meant to be an aspiration to be a Kohen Gadol. The Rambam says any person could achieve the status of Shevet Levi just with the right focus and intention. That seems to imply that every person in their spiritual conduct can reach a stage of being like Shevet Levi. On a very being completely sanctified. So surely the logic says, if, like the Rambam tells us, any ordinary person could reach a level of dedication to Hashem that makes them akin to a member of Shevet Levi, surely extend the logic and say, and if a person pushes even further, they could become like a Kohen Gadol. So why is it that there's so much emphasis to say, Good aspiration, but don't try and apply it in, in practice. There's only one Kohen Gadol. Why is there only one Kohen Gadol? 
Just like there's not only one Shevet Levi in spiritual terms, anybody could become of that spiritual stature. Surely you should say the same about a Kohen Gadol. Anybody can reach it. So to understand that we need to appreciate that the nature of how the Levim operate and how the Kohen Gadol operates, very different, maybe even contradictory. So Kerach as a Levi wants to be a Kohen Gadol, doesn't go together. When we describe the type of avoider that Shevet Levi can do, the Rambam opens it up and says any person who volunteers to, t- to involve themselves in this kind of avoider, absolutely. But the Rambam doesn't say you have to do it. The Rambam says if you would like to, any person not for any person who volunteers to take that higher grade type of avoider, by all means. Yet when it comes to a Kohen Godel, while nobody could become a Kohen Godel, interestingly, everybody is supposed to aspire to it. Why is that? Well, I mean, what is this some arbitrary division between a Levi and a Kohen? or specifically a Levi and a Kohen Gadol. So in order to understand that, we have to understand that there are three layers, three levels of spirituality that we could achieve that are represented by three different ways of how we serve Hashem. In serving Hashem, there are three general processes. Mitzvahs, Torah, and Mesiris Nefesh. There's a connection to Hashem through observance. There's a connection to, to Hashem through Torah study. There's a connection to Hashem through absolute sacrifice, Mesiris Nefesh. The nature of mitzvahs is they're very tactile. They, 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 they play out in physical things. If you want to do the mitzvah of tzitzis, you need wool. To do the mitzvah of tefillin, you need parchment. So therefore, mitzvahs represents how we serve Hashem by engaging the world. In other words, mitzvahs represents how we engage with the world in order to transform the world, that it should become a conduit for godliness. That's one way of serving Hashem. Take the physical world, transform it. Second way to serve Hashem. Torah is beyond the world. Torah doesn't have to speak the language of the world. There are many areas of Torah that are not related specifically to pragmatic elements of behavior. Torah is beyond the world. Even after, as the Alter Rebbe says, Torah descended through an evolutionary process, many, many levels, until eventually it is comprehensible to the human mind. Not only comprehensible, but you can talk about Torah, and you can even act on Torah. In spite of all of that, the darkness, the spiritual blindness of the world does not impact Torah. Like the halacha says, that words of Torah cannot become impure. So therefore, Torah is fundamentally beyond the world. Mitzvahs are fundamentally engaged with the world. Torah is fundamentally beyond the world. So mitzvahs is the way you serve Hashem with the world, and Torah is how you serve Hashem, stepping away from the world. Then the ultimate state is, Gimel Mitzvah's Nefesh, is Hecher Alpi Torah from the Midavag Bolo from Torah Mitzvah's. 
Messias Nefesh is where a person goes totally beyond, not only beyond their own limitations, but even beyond the structures of Torah and Mitzvahs. In Yonez, the Yichudut Veikus Mitelikus, the Manimimimididvahagpola, and that represents connecting and unifying ourselves with Hashem in a way that has absolutely no restraints. So, so now we can take these three different ways of connecting to Hashem, mitzvahs, Torah, Messias, Nefesh, and relate them to the three major categories of Jews. The vast majority of Jewish people, how do you behave? According to the rules of the world. So yes, you have to learn Torah and you have to daven. You also have to earn a living. So the most obvious category is people who actually are worldly. They actually plant things and they actually plow fields and they actually go into the office. And in that environment, we do mitzvahs. That's why we're there. So in the, in the agricultural world, there are a host of mitzvahs to perform. And so are they in the business world. And the truth is, even outside of the business world, anything that we do that is part of mundane life, eating, socializing, exercising, whatever it is, so the attitude of mitzvahs is find a way to engage that with Hashem and elevate it to Kedusha. That's open season. Every single Jewish person is capable of it. Then, then you have another way of serving Hashem, like the Levim, which is, like the Rambam says, that the tribe of Levi has to be separated from the world, separated from the community, in order that they could be in, a, in an elevated status and then guide everybody else. That's generally speaking, not just the physical descendants of Levi, but any person who dedicates their life to Torah. So people who study and cradle their whole lives, Rosh Yeshivas, Mashpim, that's that world. They're somewhat removed from the world in order to guide the world from a higher vantage point, aligned with Torah. And then, Gimel, the Avoid of an Godel. Then you have the Avoid, which is unique to a Kohen, specifically a Kohen Godel. A Kohen Godel may never leave your Shalayim, which represents, that's how it got its name, absolute Yeras Hashem. The highest level, Yirei Lo'o, complete Yeras Hashem. And that absolute Yira translates into Messias Nefesh. A Kohen Godel not only should not leave your Shalayim, he should never leave the Beis Amikdash or the precinct of the Beis Amikdash. Meaning in Yonoi is Stein and Ashtendika Fayinikung Nishabras mit Nebishn. The Kohen Godel's job and purpose in life is to be in a consistent state of connection to Hashem. Bees the Avoidam Yichoda, the Kohen Godel, the Knisibi, and Bakipurim, Achas Bashon, and Kedashakadoshim, was Dosibigilidit Novinim from a says Nefshidali Yachtoch. And this all really plays out in the most open way once a year when the Kohen Godel would go into the Kedashakadoshim to be in absolute union with Hashem. That is what a Kohen Gadol represents. So mitzvahs align with the average person, engage the world and elevate it. Torah aligns with Shevet Levi, the individuals who separate themselves from the world in order to live in the perspective of Torah and guide others. And the Kohen Gadol represents the avoid of Messias Nefesh, total investment and engagement only in godliness. Now we can understand why Levi you could volunteer for, 
and Koyen Gadol everybody should aspire towards. So what's the paradox here? On the one hand, every single Jew, if he or she chooses to, can access the level of Levi. In practice. Yet, the Kohen Gadol is something you're only entitled to aspire towards. You can't actually do it. On the other hand, but when it comes to being a levy, we say everybody can access, but not everybody is expected to. It's your choice to volunteer to be one of those individuals who's completely encompassed in Torah and separate from the world. Whereas the avoid of the Kohen Gadol, which you're not allowed to put into practice, you only have to aspire towards, but everybody is meant to aspire towards it. Seems very paradoxical. Us living in this world, serving Hashem in this world, we have these two paths. Part of our path of serving Hashem is what we do with our own spiritual development. And the other part is what we do with making the world a holy place. Generally speaking, that's the distinction between people who focus on Torah, self-growth, and people who are Focus on on Uftin Tavin, which is the impact on the world, mitzvahs. What is the majority focus? What should most of us be doing? Mitzvahs. Because that changes the world. That's Hashem's purpose. That's what we're supposed to do. But it is possible for somebody to volunteer and say, I'm going to step out, and my focus is going to be on learning Torah, which will not engage the world necessarily as much, and that will be my avoider. So you could choose that you're going to spend every single day totally immersed in Torah. The average person every single day is focused on mitzvahs. You could choose to be immersed in Torah. But you cannot choose to have Messirah's Nefesh every day. Messirah's Nefesh is not a daily thing. But it has to be Reutzer Bekach every day. Every single day a person has to feel, today I would want to have that opportunity of absolute dedication to Hashem to the point of Messirah's Nefesh. It doesn't matter if you're focused on mitzvahs, or if you're focused on Torah, both channels should be guided by and informed by a sense of, I want to have absolute dedication. I want to have Messias Nefesh. Because, ultimately, I want to have Messias Nefesh. But what does the Eibishter want? A human being who lives in a physical body impacting the physical world, and therefore, is Eivad Abedos in a matter. That's why I do what I have to do down here on earth. In Einem von die Zwei either in the path of focusing primarily on mitzvahs or focusing primarily on Torah. Machen die Welt is... So either I take the path of the majority, which is to transform the world through activities of mitzvahs, or I take the personal path of focusing on Torah. But in both of them, I have to feel the drive of Messias Nefesh. 
Und Afgab Shas ist dort der Rotzebekach, der Rotzebekach, ist es ein Dovik Belekus. Only when a person really has that, that, not just a drive, but a passionate drive, to want to be so connected to Hashem, to the point of Messias Nefesh, that's when you do your avoider properly. So you could have some people who focus completely on mitzvahs and other people who are focused completely on Torah. But until they have that foundation of Messias Nefesh, I wish to be a Kohen Gadol, totally enveloped in the holy environment. Until I reach that point, I won't do my avoider fully. Because when I have Messias Nefesh, then the world and its opportunities to do mitzvahs is not something independently worthwhile. And Torah and its opportunities to escape the world is not independently worthwhile. The Klal is, as the Baal Shentov says, wherever a person's rotten is focused, that's where that person really lives. If a person lives with that my whole avoid is I want to be connected to Hashem, that's actually where I am in my avoid. Then when we do this and we have this we want to be koyhanim gedolim and that's what drives all of our avoida. That paves the way for the time of Moshiach where that will be the reality. Levim are upgraded to two koyhanim. And at that point, every single Jewish person will reach the level of koyhan gadol. So by us aspiring towards it, aspiring in such a real way that it motivates our avoider to be so passionate and dedicated, that switches on the possibility of getting to the time of Moshiach where each of us reaches that befoil. The Balaturim says, not only was it at the time of Har Sinai that every year was the level of a Kohen Gadol, it will come back again, he says, in the time of Moshiach. That will happen in the ultimate and absolute Geula. That will be at a time where Moshe and Aaron are back with us and they'll be able to guide us and we'll all have the access to the experience of the Kohen Gadol. And in Yitzhah Hashem, we should be zoichet to that. Take care of Umiyad Mamash.